May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that it is Tahor, and not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah, and we rejoice over them, for Adonai grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Well, somebody say amen. amen. Gee whiz, you're not allowed to bless your own blessing, right? That's what I was taught, much to my chagrin. Johnny May. My friend David in Canada, who is listening, no doubt, eh? Uh, actually sent a question. He was very concerned. How can it be? We believe that the Torah was given before the foundation of the world. Yes? The sages, Hazal, say and teach that Avraham Avinu actually kept the Torah. Lovely. How is it that Avraham, who was willing to buck and argue with Hashem regarding the destruction of Sodom and Amorah, simply went along? with this idea of murdering his son, whether it be for an offering or not. So I did discuss that uh, with a couple of people and actually had uh, some comments from the rabbi on that. So I would get your thoughts now. For David. Why is it that Abraham just went along with it? And was willing to do it. I mean, we see that Ezekiel balked at cooking his food over human dung, which is actually not non-kosher. It's just disgusting. But he balked. Lord, I cannot do that. Mm. Why is it that Peter actually balks and says, three times, I can't do that. I have never eaten anything unclean. I'm the kosher boy. I'm sticking with the rules. Yes, sir. I think possibly Abraham knew that God would create a circumstance in which he didn't have to fulfill this event. Okay. As, as it says, he's talking to his two young servants. We'll return. Okay. So, so let me let me see if I can paraphrase. Your take is to lift up Abraham Avinu. Your take is, he trusted God so much, no matter what you say, I know you're going to make it right. That's, that's the level of his faith. That's the level of his faith. I would, I don't disagree, but I would suggest that perhaps, just perhaps, that would violate Deuteronomy 13. So, Abraham would have had an opportunity to go, this can't be God saying that. Yes, sir. Well, I was just going to echo that, but maybe be a little bit more specific, and that is perhaps because he knew God had given him a promise of a son and, and that through that seed he would have many descendants and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God had made it abundantly clear that Isaac was, was the, the guy. Chosen. He's the guy. 
Ishmael was not, Isaac was. And, uh, and he knew that God had cut a covenant with him mm-hmm. this issue. Mm-hmm. So, uh, perhaps he understood at some level and, of course, had the faith to believe that if God asked me to, to slay my son as I would offer up my son, yes. he will have to resurrect him in order to, He's got to. In order to keep his promise. Because he has to keep his promise. Absolutely. All right, so option one, it's, it's just faith. And, you know, and I don't care what happens, I'm just going to obey. It's almost a blind faith, over the top, that's why he's a patriarch. Now we've got more of a calculated response of, <laughs> you know what? I don't get it. I don't need to get it because he's God. And his character demands that if he chooses to let me go through with it, he's got to fix the problem. Either that or he's going to stop me. But one way or the other, he promised his covenant is clear. Bada bing and bada boom. Yes, sir? I'm going for the he's going to stop me argument. Okay. Go. Which he said. Which I would lean toward the um, being faithful to his promise mm-hmm. and his commandment, thou shalt not kill. Because mm-hmm. if he's killed and resurrected, then he's violating. He's violating. He, then God is going against his own commandment not to kill. Does yeah. So it does. So you're so you're return, you're going to you're going with a mix. Yeah. So you've got the I've got the faith that God's going to make this right, but because I'm saying before we go, I know we're both going to return. That he can't let me go far enough. He's going to stop me. Whatever. Okay. Yes, Gregory. Now, I think we see in many cases where Abraham and other patriarchs like Moshe did have prophecy and that and they, they were prophetic in a sense. And yes, absolutely. He was able which is why he responded, God will seek out for himself a lamb yes. for the offering. Yes. He responded in a way that was he knew as as everybody said, by faith he knew that he wasn't going to end up having to kill Yitzhak, but mm-hmm. he knew also of what the outcome of this whole situation was going to be. Okay. Okay, so sort of, uh, um, we've got one, two, two B, and you're, you're like on a two C, it's a two B plus. It's, yes, he's going to go because he's got the faith. He's willing to go either route, but he pretty much knows it's got to be this way, otherwise he'd violate his Torah. And... He even sees ahead of time and knows it's got to work like this. I mean, my goodness, I'm a prophet. This is my God. We're working together, a team thing. Yes, Joshua. Yes, Johnny. God bless you. Good to see you. Likewise. Um, There's also a midrash that points out that some sages believe that Abraham actually did kill Isaac because, you know, he's, it, it goes to extra extent, you know, the Torah makes it very clear that they went together, you know, more than once, and, and repetition is like highlighting, you know, and, and underlining, and, you know, and, and bolding, you know, these are, these are the things that they kind of used as their literary techniques, because you didn't have the punctuation and fancy highlighting that we do today, so it makes it very clear that they were together, they were, you know, going up, you know, almost as one, father and son, and 
from the point of the Akedah, Isaac is missing from the narrative until Re- Rebecca falls, gets down, dismounts, lights, whatever terminology your oh, Bible lights. says, gets off the camel um, in the next portion. You know, so this, you know, some time has gone by, and we haven't seen Isaac for quite a bit of time. Which is where the Midrash comes from. Exactly. So one explanation is that Hashem actually did kill him, and that you know he you know may have actually been resurrected by this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. What's right. the most famous rabbi to teach that Paul. point? The Apostle Paul mentions it in the Apostolic Scriptures. Yes. I would say. Um, there is one other scenario here, and that's that Abraham, Deuteronomy 13, was initiated because of the fact that none of us, unless you're special, I don't know it, have Joe is special. This special. Have a relationship with Hashem to the degree that you can actually hear His voice and recognize. know it immediately. Abraham, Moses, the prophets, they did have this. And in the case of Abraham, I think that that... He just trusted whatever he heard. I recognize that voice. I know what it comes from. I'll do whatever it says. You think about Moses. Moses is told, don't make a graven image. Then he goes up on the mountain, and God says, okay, these cherubim things you've got to put on the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, okay, I guess those don't count. Cool. All right, fine. So, you know, like, don't mix wool and linen, but the ziti you can. So, essentially, the idea being, Hashem makes the rules. So Abraham saying, one perspective would be that Abraham saying, okay, God, I know that's you talking. Whatever you say, you'll work it out. I'm not sure how it fits in with what I know from your Torah, but I'll trust you. I like it. Well, and to kind of pick up on that thought, we see in other places in Tanakh where God gave commandments that are against what is laid down in the Torah. One example that comes to mind is he very, very clearly says in Hosea chapter 1, Hosea, who is a priest, Marry this prostitute. Her. Yeah. That is a violation of the Torah. Oh. To yeah, I think you got a better one than that. When he says, through his prophet, you guys, you married the wrong girls. you got to divorce these girls. you got to get rid of these wives. It's put away your wives. To me, that's, that's even more so. God hates divorce, and yet he's commanding it here. Right. So, so my, my, my point, though, is we can see in Scripture that God will use a situation where he is seemingly not telling somebody, well, he's not seemingly, he's telling somebody to do something that is specifically against his Torah. Why is he doing that? He's doing it to make a point, to mm. make an illustration. Yes. Right? So, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, remember this. Uh, Hosea was a prophet, right? Absolutely. Yes. The, com- the Torah commandment is that priests aren't supposed to marry prophets. He was a priest, too. He was a priest. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, and it goes out of the way to say it in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Most of the it's, prophets were for yeah. There's yeah. a few exceptions. Either, either way, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, there's... there's, there's uh, there are places where God chooses to override his Torah in specific circumstances. And like you said, he's God, he can do that. But normally, it's to make a point and use a circumstance to, to make things right. In this case, he's saying, he's using Hosea as a kosher priest, right? He's saying, go marry this harlot. 
you know, and you can imagine the reaction of, of Hosea, you know, he's like, what? No, that's, you know, and, but the whole point, the whole metaphor, that whole, really the whole book is God is saying, look, that's, this is how I feel. Hey guys. <laughs> I feel like I'm married to a heart. Because you guys, you guys are out, you know, playing the prostitute with the other gods. Exactly. I, I liked uh, Joshua's comment. I think going back to Deuteronomy 13 in the context is a person who's trying to add to or take away from God's Torah. But it, it, so it doesn't say if I try to give you something extra uh, that, that you're supposed to reject it. So, so I think putting that in parallel. And, but also, I, this may be a step back, but where in the Torah is the, is the direct commandment not to sacrifice humans? Or is it just implied with... Uh, uh, no, you do. Don't send your children through the fire. Thou shalt not commit murder. The whole Moloch thing. He was really upset about that. Yeah, human sacrifice is. Because I think I could argue the the murder one. Because uh, again, don't murder, but God tells you to wipe out an entire population of people. Mm-hmm. So again, there's the, the idea of there are different yeah. I, I think um, I would lean more against the murder thing and more on human sacrifice. Okay. Human sacrifice is an abomination to him. And, but is it, sorry, is, is it just to don't sacrifice your, 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 don't throw your children to the flames like they do in the valleys of Molech? Or right. is that, is, is that just don't do that to this God? Does it necessarily carry over? We well, still don't, don't worship me the same way that they... Yeah. yeah, I think clearly he was so upset about that. He's, you know, he's making it clear. You guys cannot do this. But in so saying, in laying out his absolute abhorrence for this type of behavior and then commanding that this one human be sacrificed, he's setting up that beautiful parallel from the Akedah to his own son. says to do something that is, that is contrary to the written Torah uh, when, when it's not to make a point or to, or to create that. Yeah, set up that some picture. kind of picture, because exactly. Obviously, in the Akedah, Avraham, right? Avraham, the father of many, sacrificing his one and only beloved son. I mean, it couldn't be any better. It had, it's, it's there, it's the historical event is, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, and it certainly was a historical event, but that's not really the, the, the main point. Exactly, exactly, but it does set it up. And I think Jephthah is the only person that, I think, the, the judge of Israel sacrificed his daughter. He didn't sacrifice her. Yeah. It's, okay. it's debated. Um, it's debated among us all as to whether he Just gave her to the gave her to the temple. It, it's it's hard to believe in the context that a he would have done human sacrifice. Just I mean it's just so abhorrent. Uh, but b um, I, I think there's a better argument to say that she's not korban. She's given over to God. She'll be in the temple. She will be a virgin. You know she cannot get married. She'll serve in the temple. That kind of thing. She didn't die. Yeah, it's it's that's kind of scary. Final comment. I I, I haven't started class yet. <laughs> this was just a little teaser. <laughs> Hashem, in giving this instruction to 
sacrifice Isaac to pay for him. It doesn't appear, I would disagree with the Midrash that he actually killed him, or at least that God wanted him to. Because Agreed. if you read in Ezekiel, he says, it did not enter my mind. In other words, Hashem was testing Abraham, but he was not desirous of human sacrifice. Exactly. I think that needs to be made clear. I think it's clear. It's clear in Hebrews. Without question, yeah. Human sacrifice is just abhorrent to God. There's no question about it. And, and that makes, that, I think that, that makes the sacrifice of his only son, who was a man, all the more abhorrent to him. The fact that he had to do this for us demonstrates his great love for us. All right, well, I will, I'll chime in as, as uh, Joshua did um, as a final comment that uh, I believe coming on the heels of the um, wonderful promises that Avraham Avinu had already received, coming on the heels of just talking God down from 50 to 10, um, he clearly has a relationship and knows the voice of God. And I believe uh, that my children have demonstrated to me the way Abraham acted. My children know my voice. There's no question about it. They also know the tone of my voice. They know when I say something in a certain way, you do not want to argue with me on this point. I'm done. And I think that Abraham knew that. I think that he knew the voice. I don't think he had to question it. I think it was an amazing amount of faith. I do think that he knew in his heart God certainly isn't going to blow his covenant or violate his own Torah in this regard. But I trust him, and I love him. And I think that he's clearly going to step to the plate. And uh, a certain degree of prophecy may have been there, but either way, I think uh, he knew the voice, he trusted that voice, and he knew not to argue or question because of the tone of that voice, and he stepped to the plate. Now, whether he actually killed him, sort of killed him, didn't kill him, was ready to kill him, I think the scripture is clear. God knew and was pleased. Good. So that was for David. And we're going to get into a very controversial topic now that normally is not talked about. Um, and I have a, uh, a setup uh, to this topic. Um, we have two short topics. Um, those who won't make it, the non-inheritors, is what I want to talk about tonight. But it's not my first thing. Um, I really actually want to bring up uh, a different issue um, first. And I don't want you to be antsy. I want to talk about the rebellious son for a second. Uh, You remember the rebellious son in the Torah. Can anybody tell me? Um, we've got this, uh, it's like a four-year-old, right? And he's going to be stoned because he, he's drinking too much. What's the deal there, Peter? Um, he's a drunkard. He's a drunkard, glutton. Okay, he, he doesn't listen to his parents. Okay. Um, what, what's the deal? What happens to him? What is, what's the command? What's supposed to happen? They shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Excellent. That's exactly. And it's the parents. Yeah. Two witnesses. That's right. Two witnesses. That's right. So what I want to talk about tonight for just, I mean, just a few moments is gluttony. 
gluttony. We, we never talk about gluttony. And yet, I see in the scripture that there's, there's a, a concern here about gluttony. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say that um, if we look at, uh, at the Proverbs 28.7, he who keeps the Torah is a discerning son. Well, that's probably true. But he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Well, doesn't that dovetail so beautifully with Deuteronomy 21.20? What a humiliating thing. To have everybody over for the bris. Name the boy. He starts to grow up and he's a little wild in the neighborhood playground and then seems to be a little violent from time to time. And oh my goodness, as he grows older, he becomes a glutton and a drunkard. It's a tough deal. We don't talk about this. And, uh, and I just want to take a moment to say that... Um, we probably don't talk about it because everybody immediately starts to look at anyone who's overweight. Okay? So if you're a little chubby today and sitting here or you're listening from afar, I don't want you to think that gluttony is necessarily being overweight. If you skinny guys, I'm going to pick more on you. And I'm specifically going to look at you because you're probably the skinniest one I see right now other than maybe you, but you're taking a cake. Okay. Is it true that gluttons are fat? No. Gluttons probably eat more than they should. And what is that? It's a lack of self-control. An overindulgence. Selfishness. It really comes down to idolatry, but no one on the planet knows that but you. So hold that for a second. Hold that for a second. You know, that would be, that would be the culmination. But yes, it's a, it's a self-gratification. Which, it's a self-gratification. It's a self-gratification, which certainly is, uh, is idolatry, no question about it. But we need to recognize that I've got a metabolism... I had him. He's got a metabolism like I used to have to where, did you know that he could be a glutton? And you wouldn't know physically because he's thin. I think the bottom line is we're supposed to identify the glutton. And I don't see in the scripture. Let's look at the chubby guys. That's not what it says. But it says, as misery loves company, or rebels seem to find one another, the scripture is clear that Proverbs 23, heavy drinkers and gluttons tend to kind of hang together. All right? Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Do not be with the heavy, heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Can you, can you follow the picture? What's happening? Guy's eating too much. He's drinking wine in the middle of the day, which the Proverbs also talks about. And what happens? He's just sleepy and wants to sleep away the day. He doesn't work anymore, and he comes to rags. So based on this, oh, by the way, 
Did I tell you that we just looked at every scripture reference in the entire Bible that has to do about gluttons? All of them. You've seen them all. Yes, that's right. There's only the three I just showed you. There's the one about the parents that bring the glutton out, who's a glutton and a drunkard. Oh, there's a combo. We saw that in Proverbs, the glutton embarrasses his father. And now we have here later in Proverbs that the glutton and the heavy drinker hang together. Precisely. In fact, in two of the Gospels, that's exactly what they say of him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Yeah, yeah. It's either one. But right? So, what I want us to do, you've got about 30 seconds, formulated in your mind, how do I identify the glutton? Because as Tzadikim, I need to be able to identify the glutton and say, well, well, no, I can't hang with that guy. Right? Proverbs teaches me that I shouldn't spend time with an angry man. It's just a waste of my time and can lead to ruin. In here, I've got the same thing. So, if we're going to say, okay, the doors of the elevator open up, there's a woman inside by herself. Do I get in the elevator? No. Am I allowed to get in the elevator? Of course. Is it wise to get in the elevator? Maybe not. Maybe I need to let that car go. Same deal. The other sex, maybe. I need to stay away from the glutton. It's someone that I need to sort of part company from. So how do I identify the glutton? In our culture, in our day. You first, then you. Yes, sir. The first thing I thought of was somebody who doesn't bless God after they are satisfied. Good. Excellent. That would would be an indication that they are just out to satisfy themselves and they... And now that they're satisfied, they've forgotten God. Yes. Excellent. I like that a lot. Yes, Joe. I was thinking of somebody that holds down a job. Good. Based on... Because they're laying around on the couch all the time. What what does our culture call that? The couch glutton. No, the couch potato. That's right, the couch potato. Yes. They have less self-esteem. Oh, is that what it is? I feel bad for them. Yeah. I feel bad for them. Yeah. Okay, but I like that. Yes, Greg. I apologize for the belly comment. <laughs> we love you to death, man. I know it. I know it. <laughs> so, um, to me, though, glutton is really. I mean, the the real issue which we've already identified is lack of self uh, control and a self centered orientation. Amen. So. And so focus is on self. Unfortunately, that is going to encompass a large swath of, of people well, who, who are skinny, fat, big, tall. I mean, exactly. Not, you know, but but uh, you know, just to just to put in a you know a, a, a semicolon paragraph for you, I think it probably encompasses all of us in this room sure. at certain times, sure. and that's what we need to be careful of, right? That you're exactly right. If I, if my mind is focused on me now, right? If I'm getting upset that my son ate the last piece of pizza and I'm missing out, Never. really, what is the problem? 
I'm convinced now, it's my own gluttony. Yeah. And and why is it important? Back to Greg's point, it's a self-gratification thing. It's all about me. I didn't get my pizza. That's that's big. And I think as as men and future fathers of our household, I think that's that's a a big temptation is to say, I'm the head of the house, I should get the most portion. I've done that. And exactly, and it's it's not I mean even with having younger siblings, it's hard to give up food in your meal. Yes. I will tell you, as as a man of God and a failure at times, I will tell you that I expect that I will be honored at the table and the food's going to come my way first. That's my role. But as much as that's true, my children should expect that I would be gracious and, and be willing to go without. And I'm sad to say that I I often fail in that regard. Yes, I got you. This fits on the well within the flesh spirit uh, analysis because in Ephesians it says, "Don't be drunk with wine; be drunk on the Holy Spirit." Mm-hmm. It doesn't say don't be drunk. It says be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Well, it, it it does say it does say elsewhere that we should not be drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the point here. The pe- people we're trying to identify the swath out there. Mm, the Yeah. Yes. Self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit, so it kind of connects those. Other I love purposes. it. Yes, that's exactly right. Good. And, 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 and I like that, and because the point I was trying, trying to make earlier is when we see that word glutton, we almost always associate it with chubby people. With food. Absolutely, and it's not it's necessarily not. always well, food. Nothing has nothing to do with food. That's exactly right. Well, it's an attitude. That's the point. It's an attitude of 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 not caring. Yeah, apathy versus God-centered. And and recognizing stewardship. Right? Let's just spend the money. Well, wait a minute. Maybe God provided in abundance today for the famine tomorrow. Two things go right to Thessalonians. Um, you don't work, you don't eat. That's right. And if you can't take care of your family, you're worse than the pagans. That's exactly right. Connect right to the same issue. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And we, but can you see my point tonight? Is and we normally don't see it that way. We normally don't see it. We immediately go food, and we're looking at the chubby people. You're right. You're right. But when you said the, the English word "collecting" is carryover. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the bottom line is. It's probably not the chubby guys we need to be looking at. It's just like those who are involved with any sexual sin. You can't look on the outside and see that, although I firmly believe you can look a man in the eye and know. But that's a different class. We'll get to that some other time. Yes, sir. I got you. Um, as far as this one goes, I remember a passage from uh, something I saw recently from the sages and talking about the idea that um, not wasting things that God gives you, and so far as to say that, like, you should just brush aside crumbs of bread from the table, because the point being, like, if a king had given you the food, 
that you wouldn't dismiss it or discard it easily. And so in the same sense here, you see that kind of that, um, that sense of gratitude and appreciation for what God's given you and not just wasting it. Or in this case, potentially, my dad likes to say, throwing the food away and eating more when you don't need it is the same thing. Good. I like that. Yes, sir. Looking at this topic from a, you know, a, a non-traditional angle sort of brings to light that our entire society is gluttonous. Everyone, everywhere. And it's all about personal gratification and, you know, and, you know even down to their relationship with God. You know, it's like, oh, oh, I'm not going to share a publicly, you know, prayer in public. That's, it's all about me and, my, you know, that's my relationship with God. That's, that's too personal. But in the, in the Hebraic mindset, we come together and we pray together, shakarit, and, you know, we want the more the merrier. Yeah, because it's not about me. Exactly. It's about us exactly. and him. Good. All right, final comment. Yes? I was just going to say, what you just said there is one of the single most important defining characteristics of the success of the Jews, especially in business, is the mindset that the more that I help others and the more that I give, the better I am. Not the more I'll get back. Not It, it has nothing to do with what I get out of it. It's not a monetary. Exactly right. That's good. Okay, thus ends our class on gluttony. <laughs> Comments? Final? Cool, huh? We need to remember that. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't watch our weight. But it really means we should watch ourselves. Okay, so I want to talk about those who have missed the boat, as it were. We're going to be looking at only two passages, and we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. That means that they are plain. They can be recognized. They can be seen. Which are? Here comes the list. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, oh my goodness, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, this is a short list And I believe that if you really understand gluttony, they could have just taken everything in that list and put gluttony there instead. Because your focus is completely wrong. And if your focus is wrong, it's going to lead to the fighting, the arguments, the envying, and so forth. Now, How often does a man need to practice these things before he has no place in the world to come? Or he will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's the dealio? Yes, sir.
and this is, I'm not trying to broach the issue of once saved, always saved, and all that doctrine. I'm just simply trying to say that um, as far as how long, quote-unquote, Ezekiel says, speaking for God, that the wicked can live their lives wickedly, their whole lives, basically. Last as moment. As they repent, it's all good. It's like they never sin. The flip side is, a man who does good things, quote-unquote the righteous, right, lives his whole life doing lots of good things, then decides to diverge from that path and practice wickedness, and God says it's as though his righteousness never happened. That's right. So in that sense, in your comment of how long, the answer would be wherever you are now. If that defines you, and again, the word practice, it's not yes. just doing it once or twice, yes. anything, it's, it's a habit, yes. then there's a problem. We don't need to discuss whether a person has been quickened by God, not quickened by God, since we know we cannot know when that has happened. What we do know is this, and, and you nailed it. If this describes you, change. I personally believe if you recognize that this describes you and you desire to change, then I believe God is already doing a work in your heart because you can't change it on your own anyway. So that's why it becomes moot. The bottom line is we need to look at these things. Well, let's look at the other one. There's one more time that we get from Paul a description like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Same phraseology. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, I love that part, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, again, will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you hate these mealy-mouthed, wishy-washy preachers? can never really tell where they're coming from. <laughs> this guy just lays it out in spades. Here it is. I think it's a very similar list, and I think that there's a, a great Shabbat afternoon after schnooze time to compare the lists and see. It's really kind of neat. The bottom line is, the drunkards appear in both. And I would go so far as to say once again that that concept of gluttony and the focus on self, I mean, what is homosexuality, right? It's certainly not procreation. It's gratification of self. And, you know, to Alex's point, ultimately, if you want to boil it down to a theological term, it's, it's nothing more than idolatry. Right? So, did I, do I have a room filled with idolaters and homosexuals, or are you just quiet because you're somber with the topic? Carousing. It causes what? Orgies. Orgies, yeah. yeah. It has that sexual connotation of um, being inappropriate. Right? That was in the previous list, not this yeah, one, right? Yeah. And Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, if we look that up, we're going to find those who um, use words against others. Right? And I would say, more often than not, the implication is to use those words against God. But um, did you notice, why would 
Why would anybody swindle someone? Right? Coveting. Right? Idolaters actually made the list. Holy cow. Right? Real quick, just as a sort of browsing point, it's used three times in the Epsilon Scriptures. Um, Romans 13, 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in browsing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Galatians, you already have. And also 1 Peter 4, 3, um, again it says, this is getting ahead of it, um, talking about the time, the desire of the Gentiles who mm-hmm. have pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Right. So again, it, it seems to be this sexualized, hard partiers yeah. type. All night long kind of thing, yeah. And in fact, um, in I think, I know one, maybe both of these, Paul, of course, writing to Gentiles, like us, says, just like you used to be. It's like the night and day. It's like the before and after. It's like, as he often does, us and them. Right? Those in the light, those still in darkness, that kind of thing. That's, that was neither. Paul says in Romans 6, what, and what is the fruit of those things of which you are now ashamed? I'll never forget when I read that verse, I thought, you know, just examine yourself. Am I ashamed of these things? Or am I imitating these things? Just that self-check yeah. to your point of that darkness at one point yeah. transferring into light. And if you are, then you walk as children of light. And have you noticed how your, how your testimony changes? I mean, I noticed mine did. When I first uh, began to walk uh, with the Master, my testimony was all about my actions before and how cool it was now that I was with Him. Now, I am so ashamed of what I did before I knew him. You know, we can get that in like a half a sentence. I did things of which I, was ashamed. I am ashamed. But praise God, he has brought me out of that. What? That. We don't need to go any further. It's not going to bring him glory. It certainly isn't going to bring me glory. If anything, all it will do is make you think about things you should not think about. Of, of which you should not think. I hate to dangle the part of simples in front of you guys. I'm sorry. It's funny because most church I, you know, uh, sermons will include someone giving their testimony, which is amazing, and you'll think a lot of people like, man, you know, their testimony is awesome. I wish I was addicted to crack. Yeah, yeah, and he got saved out of that, yeah. <laughs> but all I did was, was pull on a ponytail in the back of the bus, you know. What's the big deal? Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's sad how we lift up the darkness. Yes. I want to point out uh, the idolatry of covetousness in um, the evangelical world of word faith spoken, you know, where you speak a word of faith, you sow a seed. These are the TV preachers that are well known in third world countries. In fact, South Africa, I'm told from a missionary friend, this is their understanding of American Christianity. It's the the guy that gets up and says, if you do this, then God will give you that. Well, that is nothing less than covetousness and idolatry in Jesus' name. Well, what you really want are the blessings of the world, but you, you don't want God. It's like Pharaoh said, you know, get out, but bless me. You know, I really don't want God. I want right. his blessing. Exactly. And that's the most deceptive and ultimately tragic form of covetousness and idolatry because it's got the religious, even Christian level sure. on it. Sure, sure. That's a good point. Um, that's so a good point. Yes. I just had a, a, a just a brief 
brief comment on what was said earlier about lifting up the, the darkness and everything. I, I think just in order to be fair, you know, we I think that also we want to draw attention to those. I, I don't know that we we want to, but I think in, in situations where I know exactly what you're talking about, you know, talking about oh the crack dealer or whatever, you know, and uh, the pregnant twelve year olds and stuff like that, um, who have who have come to come to God. It, it's just I think that. In some aspects, they could be glorifying God by saying they have been forgiven so much right. that, that they that they have been forgiven for you know all of these things, so that they're now um, you know they're responsible for that. And does that does that kind of make sense? I'm yeah, sure. I, do, I completely disagree with you, but I understand what you're saying. Okay. What you're saying is that uh, um, you understand why. They're going into all the details so that they can glorify how far they've come with God's help. I don't disagree. I used to do the same thing. Now, I don't do as I did when I was a child. Sure. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that anyone who does, who, who describes their testimony that way is any less spiritual or is, is wrong. I'm just saying that over time, one would think we'll grow to understand that it's not helpful and it's not glorifying to God. But I see your point. Right. Yeah, I just disagree that it would be, it's still appropriate. The trouble is, yeah, the, the trouble is in, in, in the visible church, there's nobody there to stand up and go, Sally, exactly. you really don't need to go through all of that. Maybe we could just kind of get a one-liner exactly. that makes that clear, because if you talk about being in that bikini again, in that way, with that guy, with that, you're drawing a picture that every guy in a place is going to see, and we don't need to see the picture, Sally. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, I but we, we should be one of the ones to do that, right? Sure. I mean, the guys in this room, I beg your pardon, good. graphic details can be left out. Yeah. We see the example from Paul that there's something wrong with saying, generally speaking, this is what I did. Exactly. Paul goes exactly. Say, I hunted down the Christians to murder them. Yes. You know, so I'm the sinner of all sinners. So I don't think it's anything wrong to say, you know, you know, not that I was, but hypothetically speaking, a person could say, I was doing this sin, I was in this activity, this was what I was in. Without necessarily going into graphic detail. Exactly. Well, the I, scripture are full of people that did these things. It just doesn't graphically describe it. Exactly right. And I would say that um, because of the way men are in our culture today, when we get to those, even those comments, I think the better part of valor for them, for their sake, to live out the Torah and love them. When we get to the sexual stuff, we can be really broad brush and not go into any detail. You, then you, yes, sir. Just to that point, I was thinking the example of like where Yeshua talks about the people who pray very outwardly in public in front yeah. of everybody, yeah. or they fast and they they mm-hmm. are very, they make it clear on their face. Yeah, and it's it's basically what they're doing is they're it's a prideful spirituality where they're doing something. That is, is meant for good. Like giving a testimony is great. It can lead other people to repent as well. But it's it's taking it too far for your own self-glorification. If it's self-glorification, if they want that for themselves, then I tell you, my friend, it is gluttony. That's the bottom line. Yes, sir? I, I think it's also important to understand the context in which the testimony is given. If you're standing up in a public setting, in a congregational setting, totally agree. There's no need to go into any of the nitty-gritty. Yeah. You know. But if I was, you know, if I had been a drug addict and God delivered me from 
and now I've got an opportunity, maybe in a one-on-one situation. With a drug addict. With a, with, 100%. That's I've mainlined, I've done this, yeah. yeah. But, you know, do we have to get into, you know, and I was tight, you know, the thing, and I got it to be, yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> there needs to be just a little... Little restraint. To, 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 to Johnny's point, though, I think I was I, I was trying to say if if we would spend more time reading the scriptures as a community rather than having people just give testimonies, we'd be in a different place. Amen. Entirely. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very self-focused. Well, I you know I, I I think we look at Acts 15. What do we see, right? In Acts 15, what do you see? Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Let's give a little bit of direction. Because they're going to hear Moses every Shabbat. Well, we're going to forego the reading of the Bible this week so that we can hear Sally and give her testimony. He has, he has one opportunity. What did he do? History when God did. Yeah, exactly. He summarized the Torah. That was the last thing that he said. Nothing about him, nothing about his testimony. I gave my testimony quite a while ago, actually, now that I think about it. And uh, I spent a good deal of time putting it together. And I was mentioned one time. It actually started with this couple that had a child. And they raised him in the Word of God. And he was zealous for the Word of God, carried around a Bible big enough to choke a mule, and went to college in order only that he might preach the Gospel and save some. But he was dumb as an ox. And he got into my math class. And I got assigned to tutor him. And he came over my apartment and started to preach to me. I started with his birthday and ended up with mine. The day that I uh, recognized God's call on my life. So. All right, well, this, is, this has been delightful, men, and I hope it's been uh, uh, edifying to you and glorifying to our Master. Uh, the fact that I think uh, if we're focusing on ourselves, um, we're going to damage relationships here on the planet, number one. And number two, we're going to miss opportunities where we might be able to lift up the Master, Yeshua. And third, we miss out on the calling, and the calling, just in case you missed it, in case you don't have it written down, the calling is to magnify the name of God throughout the whole earth. That's the calling. And we miss out on that if we're focused on something amazingly puny and small like ourselves. Amen? I want the uh, second hour to be extraordinarily lighthearted. And uh, I'm looking for a bunch of laughter. We're actually going to go through the Christmas quiz in high speed uh, so that you can defend it without having to read the answers. And uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be quick. I'm not, I'm not going to hand it to you. I'm not going to have it up there. I'm going to read a quick question and look for you to, to give a response. And we'll talk about it and see why are these particular questions on the quiz And how can we use those to draw people into a walk of the Torah? Let's take a break.